thank you for coming to our panel about YouTube and monetization, how to make even more money from YouTube. So I'd like to introduce our panelists, starting with Kevin Grosch from Flowthinkery, Jeff Price from Audium, Ryan Bourne, hello Ryan, from AdRev, and Isaac Bass from YouTube. And the last person on, just on the other end is Jack Conti, who's an artist and now CEO of Patreon. So just to level the playing field a little bit and so that we can start digging deeper, I'll just list off five different ways you can make money off YouTube. And then our conversation will sort of flow out of one of those five things. So we all know that YouTube is a great place to make AdSense dollars. And then after that, people start thinking, well, what else is there? So there are at least five other things that I can think of. One is sponsorships. So AdSense, maybe a couple dollars per CPM. Sponsorships can get you into hundreds or thousands of dollars per CPM. UGC publishing. Other people uploading content or covers of your stuff. You can monetize that and make money. Some of these people are here to help you do that. The... Other thing is subscriptions. I think YouTube has turned on the subscription option for a larger number of partners. And is that right, Isaac? Uh, yes. Yes. Well, the sort of first round of, I think, what we're calling now channel subscriptions rolled out oh, maybe six months ago. And we're currently sort of evaluating how it's been progressing and thinking about how best to proceed. To ex- expand that, right. Another way to make money is off of patronage. Kickstarter and Patreon, people giving you money because they like what you do. And finally, there's merchandise sales. Um, So for instance, in-frame annotations, where inside the frame you have a link to purchase whatever it is you want to sell, and those tend to perform really, really well, three to ten times better than links outside of the frame. But you can sell other things outside the frame, too. So there are lots of links for Cafe Press, for... Google Play to download the music for iTunes and Amazon.com. So there are multiple ways to make money on YouTube, and we're going to dig down into some of these ways on this very panel. Let's talk to Kevin first. Your company is Flowthinkery, which is focused mostly on the production of music videos and creative content. How do we make more money by focusing on how we produce these videos? Well, especially in relation to musicians and, and artists who, who kind of have viewed the platform in the past as just a, a site for uploading their content, whether that's just a music video or it might be on occasion a, a, a tour journal or um, a behind the scenes, but it really hasn't, the music industry really hasn't taken as much of an advantage of actually building a brand on the platform where they can really start to build an audience and it's it's i'm talking about programming that's a little bit more longer form more engaging that can expand the creative direction of that the artist is already undergoing and then that allows for better opportunities for sponsorships and and other things like that so getting the viewers to stay on your channel consume more of your content leading them from one of your videos to another to another rather than having them wander off someplace. Yeah, and that, and, that it's, and that it's content and that there's an active place for people to go so that it's not just... Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at really successful channels on YouTube and their growth trajectories, 
they've they've developed their channels to a point where they're they're it's a positive curve, and then mm-hmm. they might have a video that that goes semi-viral, and that'll bump up the the rate at which they're growing. But it does it's always a positive curve. Where a lot of musicians and artists sometimes they'll have just a flat line, and then release a music video or a singular video, get a spike in views, and then it goes to flat line again. They don't have that ongoing presence of of people coming and discovering their channel, which allows them to then you know, find other ways to, to, to monetize and activate that audience. Cool. I, Jeff? I found uh, what you said very confusing, and I'm supposed to know this stuff. So with your permission, yeah. you know, basically, if you take a video of your three fingers wiggling, you control that copyright, you upload it to YouTube to your account. That's called a channel. That's what he's talking about. And YouTube created a little button right there that you can click that says monetize. And if you do that, they'll sell ads onto your video. If somebody watches 30 seconds or clicks on the banner ad, the advertiser pays YouTube. YouTube takes an approximating what's in the press, 45% of the money, and pays out 55%. That's what he's talking about. And there's different ways to drive up the amount of money you get paid versus you have those three fingers with the song, I Will Always Love You, in it. Now, you have three copyrights, one for the video itself, one for Sony Records that owns the recording to the song, and one for Dolly Parton that wrote the lyrics and melody. And that's very different than this side, which is your own videos. Now we're dealing with other people's videos. And there's sort of a wall between the two sides. And there's a very complex system that allows Sony Records and Dolly Parton to say, yeah, YouTube, go ahead and put an ad on it. And I just wanted to make that distinction. So what you're describing, if I've understood it correctly, is how on this side of the table, on your own videos, when you control all the copyrights, you can increase the money you make by getting more people to watch it, not to leave Mm -hmm. in the middle of it. And that drives up the amount of money the advertiser pays YouTube to put an ad on your video. Did yeah, I? Is and, that right? And, yeah, absolutely. And it's okay. it's all about it's all about making, in, in my mind, for this component of 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 developing an audience online, it's still about making great art. You know, so it's it's an artist. You know, just the amount of time that they spend on developing and building and making their record, it's about viewing the platform as a way to be an extension of their art and not just and to. to further those opportunities. So I want to skip over to Jack. I'm sorry, Jeff. No, we'll come back to you. <laughs> Jack creates his own videos, but he also is um, the head of a company called Patreon. But I wanted to ask you, is that, do you agree with what Kevin said? Can you, you know, can you make a decent living off of YouTube videos and making sure that they're the best, most polished, most wonderful pieces of art ever? Well, Short answer, yes. There are a lot of people making a living off of YouTube videos. A lot of people, a generation of people. How much money they're making, obviously right now depends, I want to say, not entirely, but a large amount of that is how many views they're getting, right, Mm -hmm. per video. What Patreon is doing and and sort of what a a lot of other companies are doing now is trying to find other ways other than click-through advertising. That's uh, you know that that's a way for a creator to make a living. So Patreon is saying to to your fans, whether it's five thousand fans or a million fans, hey, I want to make YouTube videos. This is digital content that I'm putting out for free. I need to get paid to do that, though. Can mm-hmm. you pay me to keep putting out videos? Will you give me five dollars every time I release a video? It's just asking your fans to help you so that you can keep making more of whatever it is that you're making. I think the exciting thing that we've seen is that, you know, a creator who might be making $10 a month through ad revenue is now making $1,000 a month because it's not based on CPMs and how many views they're getting, but rather how engaged their audience is with them. And so, so I think it's important to make that distinction. Like, yes, you can, 
you can depend on ads or, I mean, a lot of YouTube creators are merchandising outside of YouTube and finding other ways to make a living. And uh, I think it's, it's important to do those, you know, in addition to just getting ad revenue. So, Isaac, I want to skip over to you. Is it fair for artists to be saying, well, I can't make money off of $2.50 CPMs. I can't make a living out of that. Is that really fair for artists to be saying that? Well, as Jack says, there's, there's lots of artists who, who do make a living, so it certainly is possible. I don't think I could comment on any one artist's success or not success. I mean, different folks are going to, be, are going to make it happen in the platform, and, and some are not, clearly. So, I mean, I think as a, a viable generator of revenue, YouTube has shown many times over that it's, it's, it's feasible. And certainly the, the opportunity around distribution is unprecedented. Certainly for independent artists, it's, there's, there's never been anything like it. And some of the success stories, including Jack's success stories, are inconceivable in a pre-YouTube world. So I'm not sure that necessarily directly answers your question, but I think, yes, you, you, it's, it's possible to make a living. Wasn't it, didn't you say, uh, I think YouTube said that how many people have made six figures make six figures a year off of YouTube? Isn't there a stat like that? We have many thousands of partners, and we pay out hundreds of millions of dollars to the industry. So we have right. Pretty- yeah, right. Can I jump in there just quickly? So when you ask, is it fair for a creator? I'm talking about say a creator with a hundred thousand subscribers, right? Mm-hmm. I think we a lot of people would look at that and say, oh, only a hundred thousand subscribers. We're talking literally about a football stadium right? Full of people. This is a football stadium full of people. And honestly, the number of views isn't there to make a living. If you have a football stadium of fans who are looking forward to your next video, it doesn't work. So that, that's why there are other services, you know. Not categorically. I mean, it's, there are football stadium fan having folks who do make a living. Some do, some don't. There are some, there are some sure. stuff, right? So everything, it's not an absolute thing that says you need to have one football stadium or two football stadiums no. in order to be able to have a condo <laughs> in San Francisco. No, but, but someone who is getting 100,000 views per video, you know, and, the, and they're releasing two or three videos a month, you might expect that person to be doing really, really well, as the 49ers are, say. And on the ads alone, on the ads alone, they're not. But you did answer earlier by saying that there were other opportunities outside, like, like exactly. your own company. And YouTube is a great place to get and build your audience, but you need to take it off of YouTube to make the big dollars. And no, I'm not sure that, I agree with that. Well, okay, to make the big, what do you think big dollar, what's the highest grossing, you know, YouTube channel in a year, it might get, you know, let's even say it gets a billion views in a year. I think we can pretty quickly do the math on a $2.50 CPM that Alex threw out there and know that that would be at best two and a half million dollars in revenue and that's the best and that doesn't take into account production costs, okay? And... So I, I'm trying to just lay it out there transparently. I'm not trying to say it's impossible to do well on YouTube or not, but I was just trying to uh-huh. chime in on that. And really where I think we ought to take the discussion is to the other side of it, which is when people in an unauthorized or unofficial manner upload your content to YouTube, which is done in very substantial amounts and is where our business has been built. And Jeff, who's sitting next to me as well. And there's a very large opportunity for music rights holders in that, as well as audiovisual rights holders. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Yeah. How big is that opportunity? Can you put a dollar amount on it? On which one? On YouTube in general. The UGC. 
third party. I could guess one. Isaac would shake his head, and I, you know, I'll do it with my, do my CPA, my CPA wizardry of giving you a very quick and dirty estimate. Do you want to talk about music specifically because it's probably most appropriate yeah, music, for the audience? Music copyrights. How much music copyrights? I'd say there's three hundred million dollars a year going out of YouTube into the hands of music copyright holders in a very, very quick ballpark estimate right now. And okay. I, I, I put it higher. I mean, um, and it doesn't mean you're wrong. I mean, we all don't have access. And I'm going to say something radical here. My single function in life is to get the artists and publishers paid for the use of their music. I believe you should be. I think music is being devalued, and I think Pandora has gone to the nth degree to put a gun to all of your head to force all of you to give them their music and then ask the government to lower how much they pay you. But that is a side topic. That being said, this concept, is it fair for you to get paid $2 or whatever the figure you was, this isn't about fair. I mean, you don't like YouTube? Don't put your video up there. It's that simple. And by the way, when you do, hooray, you're getting paid for the first time because technology allowed it. So is the CPM high enough? If you don't like it, there's no gun at your head. Go to Vimeo, right? And so that being no said... No one will watch it if you go to Vimeo because uh, YouTube has 64% of all online views. Of, and Vimeo doesn't even get, make it into the top 10. But that being said, I want you all to make lots of money, but the sad reality is you're all not going to. Just like there aren't a lot of, everyone's not a hit artist, there's not going to have a hit video every uh, time. I, wait, I, I have to take issue with that, though, because we're not oh, talking about... Oh, I'm sorry, about... everyone's going to be hit artists. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, 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 make no, no, artist, no, 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 is that, is that the one we're talking about? I don't know what I said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know sorry. what you're saying yet either. I'm sorry. So I, I let's think, get to it. I think whether you made them I or get not. I to and swear thank and be you confrontational. If, thank yeah. you if you made them. Thank you for helping with that. But th- there's, there's literally tens of thousands of artists who are now because of services like YouTube and because of self-publishing and all these tools that are now available. There's artists who you've never heard of and who I've never heard of who are, have small businesses and are like a mom-and-pop corner store. They're not like Walmart. They're making maybe $50,000 a year, $70,000 a year making their music, making their videos. That's, that's a different category of artists than Lady Gaga's. And yeah, but they, why is it YouTube's fault that Pepsi isn't paying them more money to put an ad on that artist's video? I, I, I'm not saying it's YouTube's fault. Okay. I don't think it's YouTube's fault. I just I think there are other players in the game that are helping those people monetize. I mean, there are a lot of companies like that now and th- that are taking advantage of engagement as opposed to number of views. Okay, time out. Jeff, how does your company help middle-class artists like Jack, who are on their way to becoming huge, make more money. So, and I'll point over and to And how much more money so, can you really make for him? So, to me, the, the goal with YouTube, the scale on YouTube, is to get all of them to use your music. Imagine if you had 100 million people creating videos using your music in it, and you can make money on all of that across the board. So Double Rainbow to Charlie Bit Me to Moon's video for Better Energy the Drunk bus, Mix. You get all of them to use your stuff. You become the <laughs> fuel in the car. And then what we do is we're Sherlock frickin' Holmes. We go into YouTube, we use our own technology, we use YouTube's technology, we use elbow grease, and all we do is crawl through the belly of YouTube looking for any freaking video using either your song or the recording of your song, and we find it, and we go, YouTube, please put an ad on that. And when they do, it generates buried treasure money that we can get back to you. And that, to me, is the power of YouTube. Yeah. And that money mm-hmm. can be extremely significant. Uh, we represent numerous songs that will make $100 a day. There are individual groups that will do well over six figures a year in YouTube, unauthorized upload monetization. 
there is definitely significant money in third party. You can call them fan uploads. You can call them unauthorized uploads, unofficial, however you want to package it. But it basically means that you you didn't upload it yourself and you meaning you being the copyright holder. And the, the money is growing. And if you're in this room and, you're think, and you've got copyrights and you are not monitoring the use of them on YouTube, you should very quickly think about doing so you and can doing turn, some homework on the best partner to do it with. You can, do, you can turn YouTube into Pledge Music and Kickstarter. I need to raise money to go on tour. Please cover my song. I need to raise money to go on tour. Here's a recording. Use it in your YouTube video. And you get your fans to use it, you're, you know, and bam, these guys are helping you generate revenue while getting the pleasure of using your copyrighted material. It's great fan artist engagement. and it's a new income yeah. stream. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think a lot of established artists also try to get in on it and say, make me a response video. Or they release tracks just so that you can make your own YouTube videos or your Vine videos or whatever videos off of their music so that they can then monetize, turn around and monetize it based off of their fans' work. Sure, and, and I, I agree with, with everything that, that you both just said. I mean, but that is, that is, you know, a component to it. And I think that in the best-case scenario, artists and, and, or whoever it may be doing that in conjunction with putting out great content of their own and then, and then being able to monetize that in additional ways, whether it's through, you know, with, with, with Jack's company or, or whether that's through using the analytics off the platform to book tours. I mean, there's so many other opportunities or, or, or selling merchandise. There's other opportunities. What we, we, we all can agree on is that as a platform, there are so many users there that you have the ability as an artist to be able to tap into that community, whether it's fans across the world who are doing a cover of your song or whether it's you've created a video that has the potential to as a singular piece to go out and and grab an audience and bring them back to to what you do as a creator yeah Yeah, i think what jack and kevin do is great i don't for a second i don't i think it's great any way you can generate revenue off of what you create if these guys can bring more money to the table god bless them i agree you know, yeah, I just focus sure. on this side. I want to be the fuel in the car. Let someone else go build the car and use your gas as opposed to build the whole damn car yourself. But these guys, if they can bring value to the table and say, YouTube, instead of paying him directly, redirect the money to me. I'll take a piece of it and give the rest back to him. And then this gentleman's going to say, well, what's the value proposition? And if you can provide one, God bless you. Direct sure. ad sales and or something else. And yeah. it's, just, it's, it's about just understanding, though, how, how to do that. And YouTube and, you know, it's it's optimization, but a lot of times it's about where, where content is going on the platform as well. It's, there are, there are, um, there's always going to be a place on YouTube for user uploaded content, for cover songs, for people in their bedrooms doing things like that. But there's also, there's also some really great, um, you know, premium content or, or, you know, you can sit back and watch, you know, watch for extended periods of time. And, and, Audiences are already watching content like that, and so to to build more and more of that as an artist is a valuable endeavor. So when when you're watching the the hundred hours of content that's uploaded to YouTube every minute, <laughs> and a lot of it is music, one I mean, of the that, largest that's, categories. Yeah, that's, that's a true stat. A hundred hours of video every minute are uploaded. I know it's to absurd. I just, I, can't, I can't even fathom that. How um, many cats are in that? <laughs> <laughs> what are some common mistakes that you see over and over again of, that musicians make when uploading their videos to YouTube? Well, one, they don't they don't work with these guys and and understand you know what assets they are actually working with. 
But then from a creative perspective, a lot of times they are they're still working within the confines of what they've always done, which is, okay, if I'm, I'm a musician, so I'm going to make a video that is uh, my tour vlog or something like that. When there's so many opportunities for them to be creative there. Um, I mean, then there's, then there's easy things like, uh, you know, tagging, annotations, um, understanding how people, you know, strategies like end plates that really help calls to action, things that are outlined in the YouTube playbook, which is really helpful for those type of kind of tricks of the trade. Now, if I can just add, the, the YouTube Creators Playbook is a really good resource for that. We, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to distill what we perceive to be best practices across the platform, and the playbook really does a good job of that. So any artist who's aspiring to, to really have impact on their channel, that's a great place. It's just YouTube.com. Where, where can one get the playbook? YouTube.com slash playbook. YouTube.com slash playbook. Free to all of and you. And there's, there's a music-specific playbook as well. Um, I mean, we see mistakes in un- using unlicensed imagery as someone that enforces copyright. You know, mm-hmm. f- throwing up a thumbnail of your album art, it's one okay piece of imagery to use, but you should think about branding and, you know, having introductory swooshes with your logo and different things that, like, set you apart and have your audience recognize that it's official and that's actually your channel. Failure to even ask for subscriptions or make calls to action like that, annotating and keeping people engaged within a playlist. If somebody's watching one of your videos and you're not driving them to a playlist, it's going to stop at the end of that video, and that's going to be the end of their YouTube experience, which is going to bring down the average watch time on your channel and is going to bring down your ability to be surfaced within search results. So there's a lot that goes into it, and there's a lot of mistakes that folks make just simply just thinking they can throw up album art, although even doing that is a nice start. If you're not yeah. doing that, you definitely should think about doing that. Because if you're like, what do I put on my official channel? Well, while you, we might be saying people are watching the videos on YouTube, they're using the, the player as a delivery device to bring the music to their ears is essentially what they're doing. They're... they're you know, you could argue it's not streaming because if it's an audiovisual container, but it's it's getting close. And so, you know, you, <laughs> anyway. Well, and and you know, to, to to what you said, you know, YouTube has done a great job with with the Creator Playbook of distilling that information, but that's based on the habits of the consumers that are actually on the platform, and it's it's based on what has worked. So these things, the, the understanding is it doesn't. The playbook is really helpful, but then it's also understanding how your audience is consuming your content. You know, a simple call to action because it has a value add is very important. But there's other ways of of building content that's going to work well on the platform because that's how people watch. Um, I mean, even there's even an aesthetic that that understanding that that's how that generation is consuming is valuable for what. You, I mean, it's just like knowing what works well on radio. Um, there's an understanding there, and so it's, it's about observing uh, trends. YouTube is already provi- is kind of getting you a, a place to start from and catching up with the playbook, and then you can be creative beyond that based on what people are watching. There's new things happening all the time, and YouTube and a creator can only do so much but to, to try to stay ahead of that curve a little bit by, by being innovative. What's the most creative thing you saw this year? I'm going to just go down the line. What's the most creative thing you saw this year on YouTube? There's a band called Moons, M-O-O-N-E-S, and they have a video called Better Energy, The Drunk Mix. And they have 
The video is the band performing the song live. Across the top, they have six buttons you can click, and on the right, they have three. The ones on the left, or the right, when you click change the camera angle, and it doesn't miss a beat. The ones on the top are how many beers they've drunk when they played the songs. So you're at zero beers, then you're at 20, 40, 60, 80. And as you click on these buttons, it literally does a quick cut, and the band is progressively more and more drunk. <laughs> it is so freaking cool to watch them use this. And so it has over a million-plus views, and it's a pretty good song. So I thought that was very creative. Very good. Jack probably looks at a lot of creators, so it would be interesting to see what you... I think probably the, the coolest thing I saw was uh, Patrick Boyvin, who's a wonderful stop-motion animator who made a choose-your-own-adventure series with annotations, and it was, like a, it was like a video game. So it was a stop-motion animation of Batman versus the Joker, and they were fighting by doing, a, like, B-boy dancing, and uh, you could choose what move would come next, and then it would annotate to that video, and he had this, like, web of videos out, and you could spend hours going through these various choose-your-own-adventure scenarios, and, of course, that catalog of videos racked up millions and millions of hits. Um, I, I'd never seen a choose-your-own-adventure through annotations. I thought it was a great use of the tech. Nice. And hours, too, for every hit. Yeah. <laughs> for me, I don't, know if, I don't know if this is the most creative, but it was definitely really effective and interesting. There's a, there's a channel called CinemaSins, and what's interesting is, is YouTube channels a lot of times will make a big deal about their ratio of likes to dislikes. If they want, you want a really high like ratio, obviously, because you know that there's going to be some people out there that are going to dislike your videos no matter what you put. Um, but they've made their whole video content on, they know that they're, they kind of critique films. And so their ratios, a lot of times they're getting more dislikes than they are likes, but that is driving so much engagement. People are, are doing response videos. They're, uh, they're commenting like crazy. And it's not like, and, and, and so from a, from a perspective of it's really funny stuff, but you know that they've, they've been... They've been kind of, uh, uh, you know, argumentative in, in their approach to content, and it's, it's really funny, and it also makes for a lot, a lot of views. Isaac, you must have seen a lot of videos in your line of work this year. Yeah, I mean, that's not really, most... my job is not to review all the videos, but I, I, I actually use YouTube, or the part that I find most exciting, I think that the stuff that these guys cite about annotations is super cool and, and mm-hmm. really creative. For me personally, I still think the most exciting part is around discovery. I went to I went to Ghana last year for my for my birthday, and I came back really excited about contemporary music from Ghana. And so I, I had I had done like some preliminary research by the time I got back, and the the sort of path that the the platform took me on from one video to another to another, going back in you know 15 years of Ghanaian music history. This is in theory, for San Francisco, kind of an obscure path to go down, and, but it was seamless and perfect, and I, I learned this a ton about this thing that I didn't know anything about. It was a pretty, for a music geek, it's a pretty great way to learn about music. Can, can I ask you, Isaac, just how, those videos that you watched, and, and this is where I think YouTube is just the most wonderful thing in the world, how, how many views did those have? For contemporary Ghanaian R&B? Yeah. Many millions. Millions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge wow. in Ghana. So as you were going down that path, each one had millions of views? I mean, not everyone. Some, some were more popular than others. Wow. But yeah, we, I mean, Sub-Saharan Africa is an explosive YouTube market. Wow. Wow. And you know what I found fascinating? Some of our customers made money out of Uganda. When have I ever... I've been in the music industry for 27 years, from a record label to tune coordinator. Never have I made a single penny, nickel, dime, or shred of, of, of any revenue out of Uganda or Nigeria or Sierra Leone or 
Rwanda. I mean, this is crazy that I'm seeing like this money. Sh- now, granted, it wasn't millions of dollars, but I was like, cool, man. They're monetizing in Uganda. Well, and it's not the just the money. It's the ability to reach people who, who historically have, have not been reachable. So as a, as a purveyor of independent music in the U.S., your export opportunity for Uganda is limited. Um, whether certainly revenue is limited, but the ability even to ship CDs there, or, or sell downloads is non-existent. So the distribution opportunity mm-hmm. to a billion users each month is really, again, unprecedented. Ryan? And a substantial thing? portion of the monetization is certainly outside of the United States. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is very nice. There's very nice money being made outside of the U.S. on, on YouTube. So. We skipped you creatively, creatively. I mean, I don't want to be the arbiter of creative videos. Well, I'll tell you what's creative, though, in the YouTube space. If you all do not have the latest YouTube apps installed on your phones and your iPad, you immediately should. The experience is amazing. I thought YouTube did a very good job with the interface and creating a very compelling lean back experience. So what I mean by lean back is like you're at home. You're on your couch. You just want to lean back and enjoy some content and have it kind of be fed to you versus lean forward and have to choose and search and hunt. That app is amazing, and, and it is an indicator of the continued path that YouTube is on towards taking you know, your video hours, watch hours, and, and away from television and towards them. Um, and I don't know, you know, look, I mean, I'm probably putting the, the, the goal as a little bit you know, uh, evilly. I don't think they're like out there like, like that, but they're trying to succeed in their, that app is, 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 is very creative. So. You know, one of the things I heard about to increase revenue and I read about it. So it's, I think it was the times is about the ability to watch YouTube videos when you're not connected to the net. And I heard this is what I read in the newspaper was it's rolling out in November. So that means all of, well, I'm hoping that you have some talk points you're allowed to describe. And if not, then I can tell you what I read, which is basically you can have videos on your device, not be connected to the internet, watch them. There'll even be ads on them. And then the next time you tether and connect to the net, the information gets uploaded and you're able now to generate ad revenue while not even being connected to the net. Kind of the way Spotify works. Is there anything you can expand on with that? Uh, I would just add that there's, there's, we're always thinking about more ways that we can run the, the best possible ad um, to the to the appropriate user at the right moment. So I think that, that there's lots of evolving strategies about how we go about doing that. Interesting for a wedding night. Oh, man. Hard. I said interesting for a wedding night, and then nobody laughed, so I thought it was a tough audience. I'm talking about pornography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if it's flagged as adult, it's flagged yeah. as adult for the record, yeah. there, there, there currently will be no Not ads served too. against it. So. If, Isaac, what can, you, what can you tell us about why Vivo has decided not to enable offline viewing? I don't know that there's that much I can say about it. I, th- I think that um, Vivo are continue to be a really important partner for us, and we have a, certainly a, a healthy relationship with them in lots of ways. Um, I think that there's a lot of open questions about how the platform um, will continue to evolve in the course of the next six months and year, for sure, and how... Um, how that evolution will affect different partners is, um, is certainly a perpetual work in progress. Uh, like I said, our, our goal is to really continue to improve the experience for our users, first and foremost, and um, whether those users are on mobile or PC or tablet or television. And, um, and I think we'll get there. Um, that's how I would summarize. Can you also give us an update on how subscriptions are doing? Channel subscriptions? 
Yeah, well, like, like uh, paid subscriptions. Yeah. Sorry. So um, it's certainly early days for uh, yeah for the paid subscription initiative. We we rolled it out um, largely to um, in fact entirely to non music partners to start as a as a, um, a sort of inaugural exploration of that strategy. And it's, it's certainly very early days. Um, there's been some some really positive results. Um, and I think in the course of the next couple of quarters, we'll continue to evaluate what's been successful and what hasn't and, and why and, and figure out how to expand from there. You know, I think it's within that is, is that they're constantly changing. You know, they're constantly mm-hmm. A-B testing and adapting things and, and doing what moves forward. And they're doing a very, you know, very good job of that. And you need to be at the forefront of watching those changes occur and, and taking advantage of them. Um, and... As creators, though, do, um, Kevin and Jack, do you find that those changes are sometimes jarring or always for the better? Which, which changes in particular? As, as YouTube evolves its platform and makes changes on those platforms? Yeah, um, there are a lot of changes. I know Isaac knows very well that the creator community has been kind of in an uproar recently about a number of things. Um, and as a creator myself, yeah, I'm, I'm sad to see certain things go. Um, you know, video responses just went, and a, a lot of users are really upset about that who are using video responses in their workflows. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of the things that uh, creators were feeling, um, you know, er, early creators, 2007, 2008, 2009, you know, those creators are kind of feeling like YouTube is changing, and it is. Um, uh and then there's things like the subscription box now is no longer chronological. It's based on engagement and activity. Um, certain videos aren't popping up in subscriptions. A lot of users have been um, upset about that. Um, you know, all, all of this is to drive more time, you know, to, for, the, for the user at the end of the day to be watching YouTube videos. And um, I think that is a, is a tough goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that, you know, there are certain choices that get made and, um, and in the end, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, yeah, a- as a creator myself, there are certain features that I'm a little bummed out about. Um, I think the subscription box is, is one in particular, um, that is just too bad, but you know, as a company scales, Facebook had the same problem, you know, they're, they're not showing you every, every thing that pops up that your friends did, right? They're picking and choosing and now YouTube is right. picking and choosing. It's just a bummer that, you know, you have creators who are making their living and now they're videos aren't showing up in their subscribers inboxes or they are but they're at the bottom and they're ranked differently and that gets to be a very difficult problem at scale kevin what uh, strategies do you have for folks who want to who work within the youtube ecosystem to adapt well i mean it, I, I think that those those changes are um you know they're, they're coming from a place like jack was saying of trying to to make sure that people are watching more video content that's either relevant to them, just like so. so regardless, platforms are going to change, um, and when you're when you're working in, when, when you're working inside of them, you kind of have to. You can't fall too in love with anything um, uh, because because they they have the ability to change. But at least in my opinion, if you're talking about creators and artists who are making really great stuff. Um, you know, you have to figure out how you can keep an audience, and and if they're really a fan, if they really are a dedicated, true fan, then you just have to figure out ways to to reach those people. And it's not a clear cut. Here's the answer, but you know, great content is still going to to at some point, you know, find its audience if you if you've kind of fostered that relationship. If I yes, could also Jack? just bring up that you know, I think 
one thing that nobody at this table would disagree with is that YouTube is one of the most incredible platforms for audience building that's around today, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so throw monetization out the window for a second because there, there are lots of people working on, you know, you have a fan base. How are you going to make money on it? There, don't worry. There are lots of smart people, like, working on that, like, right now. Um, but in terms of getting those people in the first place, getting from zero to 1%, that's honestly the hardest part of the whole thing is building actual fans. And nothing exists like YouTube for that. So whether or not, you know, YouTube has stepped up the game on monetization, um, you know, I, I think that's that really is a separate issue. I, I also think previously for people with... 25,000 views, 50,000 views. Yeah, if you're getting a $2 CPM, forget it. Like, don't think about monetization. Think about building your audience so you're getting millions of views and then start worrying about monetization. But, um, but that's kind of a weird thing if you think about it because someone with 25,000 fans, that's a lot of people. They should be able to, to make money somehow, right? Someone with 25,000 fans, even if they're global fans... They should be able to make money somehow. So but what's, the, what's the analog equivalent? Like, what's the pre-YouTube existence for artists in that, in that scenario? Uh, there isn't. I mean, I think that's, there's no precedent for right, small business creators that, that didn't used to exist before free publishing and free distribution and, and free audience building. Right? That has never existed before. It's a new thing. And while YouTube has totally democratized audience building... It, there are still people who, uh, you know, audience monetization, I feel like, hasn't been democratized at the same level yet. Yet. I think and, people just unfairly compare it to, like, television audience numbers. And they're like, you know, if Tosh gets 4 million viewers, that's somebody that gets, and it's unfair. I mean, you know, reiterate that. Wait, gets what? 4 million videos, so 4 million views on YouTube should make the same amount of money as Tosh gets in sponsorship dollars. And it's just, it's just not fair, and you can't think of it like that because they're completely different places. Um, you know, one of the ways you can monetize your fans on YouTube that we haven't discussed yet, and this is kind of cool. If, so if I'm an artist and I have a recording, what I would do is I would take my song and I would make it available for free download, or I would take a, a minute and a half of a three-minute song and make it available for free download, and I would tell people, please use my recording in your YouTube video. Not only can you monetize the views on the video, but we, our two companies, can deliver something called metadata, information to YouTube. So below the video itself, you will see a link to buy the actual song in Google Play, iTunes, or Amazon, and it can actually drive sales. So please use a minute and a half of my song in your video. We go out, we find it, we deliver information to YouTube. Below that is a link to buy, and that actually helps drive mm -hmm. sales of the actual recording of the song, which can also make you money. It can, just, just so that we are all aware, the, the conversion on that is not very good. Um, but careful what you say he'll get mad at you be careful what you say I just wanted <laughs> only if it's not true no it's true I mean just like anything conversions aren't through the roof but heck but it does if, do that I mean, if, if, if you know 10% of your 25,000 people or 5% of your 25,000 1% you know there's an extra way way, way less than one but it, it, it's just it's, <laughs> unless you're Harlem Shake and I you go to number like one I just the numbers iTunes. to be Accurate. That's you know. We're in, we're I think framed that, properly. I, I think that it can vary from video to video. And my experiences have been like most things. Most don't convert with high numbers, but on rare instance, some do. And yeah. you never quite know what's going to be the bolt of lightning. Be it Zooby Zooby Zoo, or whatever the hell that song is on Mad Men, which drove a song from 1960 what eight in France to number one on the iTunes chart to Harlem Shake. Right, it went to number one on the iTunes. The lottery uh, ticket. You know, you just never know. So. 
stack it with, you know, technology creates more lottery tickets. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I've been neglecting our audience. <laughs> I really want to know if you guys have any questions for us. Question for Isaac, specifically on a YouTube a music streaming platform, um, which was announced in London, slated for release, I believe, by the end of the year. Uh, any guidance on a price point? I'm sorry, what's the, what's the announcement in London? Oh, the YouTube music streaming platform. So a streaming uh, premium On-demand subscription. service? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think I was at that announcement. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, it was a, a meeting, discussion, announcing that it would be launched by the end of the year. I was going to ask you if you had any idea of the price points. Uh, this is going to be pretty substantial for players like Spotify, Deezer, everybody else? Uh, well, I, what I would say is that we contemplate lots of different strategies on how we might roll out, let's say, different products around subscription and other things all the time. That's a, an evolving strategy for us. So I, I think we'll have more we can share in the coming weeks and months, but certainly nothing more than that right now. Uh, would comment a little bit about not settling for the $2.5 CPM in YouTube, but selling above through pre-roll. And YouTube's made it available for people with certain threshold to be, you know, pre-rolls in high demand. And I'm surprised that we really didn't hit at all the incremental or the meaningfully more higher yield that people could get through other... You're talking to direct ad sales? That's right. Let's go over a couple. There are CPMs that are significantly greater than $2.50, like far in excess, you know, like $25, huge ones. But the thing is, is when you look at them on a very blended basis, when you're trying to serve up ads against a viewer in Uganda, I think, which was brought up here, they're not going to be anywhere near that, right? Because no advertiser wants to shove ads to that audience, maybe even not at all. Especially not there. Well, we have, we have advertisers in Uganda who okay. want to reach Uganda. A few do. Users. Okay, but I can tell you it won't be at 25 bucks. So there's, you know, it's just on a blended basis, and not all views are monetizable, right? So not every single time you're on YouTube will you always see an ad. So when you throw out these numbers like 250, you just have to qualify them with like hacking at all these different factors that go into whether there was an ad server and wasn't, whether it was one that actually would be at a number that would make you feel like, damn, that's actually a nice number, or be like, uh, don't want to put my content there. So. Um, you, the selling of, of, of inventory, look, Google's the world's largest ad network. They're a $300 billion corporation, and they built that business primarily by brokering advertisements. They're very good at that. What's that? Okay, yes, and you can, fair enough. They are doing their best job, in my opinion, you know, and I get, uh, you know, Isaac can get right at their ad sales, but what I was really going to try and say is that when it comes to claimed content, third-party uploads, there are some issues around, if, as you can probably imagine, direct selling into that because of there are some complex rights related to it. When it comes to channels, and I think Kevin would probably be better to, to speak on, on the channel specifically, but it, there, there are opportunities to do that. And, you know, it comes down to you being able to outsell you know, the world's largest ad agency and do so. And there are certainly MCNs that are capable of delivering direct sold advertising. I can't say whether it's great or not, but they're out there. What what this means is some people get so many views on their videos that are part of their channel, either because they've uploaded themselves or they've created an umbrella over themselves and other people, that they got a special contract with YouTube that lets them try to sell 
advertisements themselves to Pepsi and Coke and Gucci, and they try to drive up the CPM from X to X plus whatever. So you can call Coke and say, hey, I can reach 100 million people this month, uh, 14 to 25-year-old males in the Northeast around this particular campaign, and it'll cost you $60 to reach them, and it can really drive the CPM up. And there's a real value in that, right? They take a piece of that and then pay the rest back to you. Yeah, and, and you know, it goes into increasing that rate, goes into all, is of, all the things that we've discussed in a lot of ways is, is how you're making a more compelling channel. I mean, especially the, some of the largest channels, they, they have uh, brands and, and potential sponsors approaching them regardless of, uh, of a MCN a lot of times anyways. But that's because they've created a product that might align well with the brand or they're just looking at, at sheer numbers. Um, so it's definitely those those rates again. That is because we're talking about when you're looking at it from from a distance. But you know, individual channels, if they're if they're doing things really well um, and their engagement is really high, those rates even directly through YouTube are much higher than what what we've what we've said. So it it really just depends per channel and other opportunities that you can to increase that engagement. How do how do advertisers know that this is a channel that I want to put my ads against. I, I mean, I mean, how does an advertiser know this is a premium channel that has high engagement, that there's a a very um, loyal audience, and I'm going to get you know sure. some sure. I, I mean, a, a channel is essentially when when these channels are are growing, they've developed a lot of them have developed a product. I mean, it's it's a show, it's a series, it's a it's a brand, whatever you want to call it, and they you know you can look at video views. Um, but then also representatives from that channel know a lot about how their audience is, is, uh, is engaging with their content. So then it becomes a conversation of, between the brand and the channel around this is, what, this, is what, um, this is what I do, this is who my audience is, this is where my audience is, and uh, those can a lot of times lead to some, some really good deals for those channels. Do you get the sense that Madison Avenue really wants to have those individual conversations? I mean, most of the time they just want to buy large audiences. They don't want to have to get into the nitty gritty and individually negotiate with Jack. Sure. Again, I don't want to. I, I don't just, want. Uh, yeah. So there's lots of different ways that, that people buy advertising a- across YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. And as I said before, we're, it's a perpetual work in progress to improve how we target the right ad for the right person in a perfect mm-hmm. world. So TrueView is a great example of an emerging product mm-hmm. uh, that we launched uh, maybe a year and a half ago. TrueView is the ad format that allows the user to skip an ad after five seconds. Um, and a lot of users skip the ad after five seconds. Uh, but the users who don't are particularly valuable for, for that advertiser because they know that if you didn't skip that Coke ad, you're really interested in Coke. So that type of research and that type of development from a product perspective is, a, is an ongoing process. And, and, I think, and we're getting better and better at it all the time, which is why we continue to see revenue go up and up and up across all platforms. And plus, money follows the behavioral pattern of the consumer. Where the consumer goes, so we'll follow the money. And as they migrate to off-TV platforms, I think you'll find the money beginning to migrate there. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? I think we have time for one more question. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. I hope it's a half-decent question. My name is Debbie Newman. Hi, Isaac. I haven't spent that much time in the channels. And I'm wondering if YouTube has a model that's a sponsorship model. So, like, the Nike-sponsored channel of a band or what you know whether or not as opposed to a performance based or impression based but a, a, a more of a sponsorship model in the channel uh structure 
Uh, we work on, on, let's say, so Coachella is a great example of a sponsorship that was, that was really successful for us and for, for the, the now three sponsors that we work with on it. So in, in Coachella was a sponsored event to begin with, as opposed to a dedicated sponsorship that's only in the YouTube environment. So we worked with Coachella to, to facilitate a sponsorship around the live stream of the event, not around on-the-ground sponsorship. This is YouTube only. And we work with a lot of brands and a lot of events around that sort of thing, I, I think largely to great success. We, we think all the time about how we can improve that experience and build on it and also scale it in, a, in an effective way to bring it to, to more people in, in a way that's going to be compelling. Um, as with everything, we're always working on it and it's always getting better. I, I, I do think we'll get there in the course of the coming months and years. I think a lot of these sponsorships happen based on conversations, individual conversations, right? It's not very scalable or automated. I mean, there is one attempt at it, which is at full screen. They have a gorilla platform where their artists and their MCN can log in and find a list of sponsors who will pay a certain amount of money for product endorsements or product integration within their videos. And you can just check it off, make a video with that product in it, whatever it is, Mountain Dew, and then you start seeing the money roll in. And those are, you know, those are generally high CPMs, but... You know, there's a difference between... When you just throw the word sponsorship out there, it's like, you know, what do they really mean? What Alex is referring to is a paid product placement, and you're free to do that and bypass YouTube at any point. You were talking about YouTube doing sponsorships, which is, which, is, which is a different thing. The problem with paid product placements, just since we're on them, is that they're very inauthentic, and they have to be done in a very, very genuine way, or else your audience just is like immediately knows you're a sellout when you sit there and you hold up you know, a Diet Coke in the middle of your video and start talking about it every time. It becomes very obvious, and then they bail. So an artist going, I'm an artist going out on tour, and I have, yeah. I don't know, Saab sponsoring my tour, hypothetically, all right? No big artist or whatever, I've watch company sponsoring my tour. Can I then, as an artist, say to my tour sponsor that's one of the sponsors on the tour... Go buy ads on my channel? Well, go sponsor my channel. And I don't mean they can ads go buy in ads an impression base, but I mean X amount of dollars for a period of time during the tour and you put up X number of videos during the tour and so people are driven to go back there. You're and- free to do that deal outside of YouTube. It, if it, what part of that needs to involve YouTube of what you just described? The matchmaking. Is there, the matchmaking yeah, itself, so YouTube should broker. Well, right. I think you know it's simple for, but you already they, the matchmaking was occurred outside of YouTube. It sounded like like they already were aware of this talent. So there's no marketplace for linking up artists and sponsors. But that's what, what the MCNs about. right are, are that's, doing that's in droves, what MCNs right? Yeah. Do, but it's uh, again, it's a one-off conversation that they have. Right. It's not a, It's not really scalable. But anyway, if you have an I, audience, they'll approach you. You know, MCNs or sponsors, they will approach you. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming to our panel. I hope you got, you guys got something out of it.